It's a great football team with a lot of moral fiber and a lot of character, and they showed it. Shout, a Buffalo football podcast, hosted by Matt Perino and Ryan Talbot. No place else you'd rather be than right here, right now. When it's too tough for them, it's just right. Presented by Syracuse.com and NYUP.com. The Bills make me wanna. What is up, everybody? Sorry for the delay. What an absolute train wreck out at uh, Arrowhead Stadium. I, I tweeted a picture of it. Uh, waded my way through the debris uh, as I tried to get to uh, my car. Got out of the stadium. It was a big roundabout. It was just a mess. That's one of the things about this, Ryan. When you go, when you're on the road, sometimes uh, trying to navigate these cities that you've never been in before uh, can get a little bit tedious. But I'm here. It is 1 a.m. Eastern time. This is the Shout Buffalo Bills football podcast. I am Matt Perino, joined as always by Ryan Talbot, who's probably falling asleep at the wheel a little bit, but I think we all are. Uh, long day. Uh, how are you, Ryan? Yeah, you know, doing well, all things considered. Obviously, a, a tough loss here tonight for the Bills uh, Mafia and obviously the Bills players, but uh, overall, big picture, you know, I, I think that this was a tremendous season for the team. Uh, you know, they made a lot of strides in a lot of areas here. Yeah. And I think that's probably the best place to start. Um, well, actually let's, let's table that for a minute. We'll, we'll get into kind of, you know, where the season, is, what the season means and, and, and all that kind of stuff. Let's talk a little bit about this game because this is the shout football podcast. If you're just joining us, thank you. Uh, uh, yes, I am in a hotel room. Uh, I got the bed in the background, but that's actually the only place you can really see my face. Otherwise, the light won't hit me right, and it'll just be weird being in a dark room somewhere. Um, Shout Football Podcast, do us a favor. If you're watching on YouTube, thank you. Hit your hit the subscribe button. Uh, we really appreciate all you guys uh, jumping on with us tonight. Uh, despite, obviously, a very disappointing outcome, the uh, Buffalo Bills falling uh, 38-24 in what was – you know, really not a close game, Ryan. And I think that that's the biggest takeaway for me after watching 60 minutes, 60 more minutes of football between the Bills and the Chiefs is that, you know, I, I always used MMA references, but Daniel Cormier, the the, the, the light, lightweight, light heavyweight and heavyweight champ always says that, you know, there's levels to this game, uh, you know, when referring to l- different opponents that he's had over the years. And, you know, there's levels to football and, you know, there's levels to all professional sports. And what we saw tonight was just a superior team in the Kansas city chiefs that had their way uh, with the bills offensively. I mean, this was one of the most dominant performances and, and consider the circumstances, the bills coming off of what was an absolute gem last week against Lamar Jackson and the Baltimore Ravens, holding them to three points, really, you know, styming any type of offensive uh, threat that they had to go to this week and to not be able to consistently get off the field, Travis Kelsey over a hundred yards, over 10 catches, Tyreek Hill finishing with 172 yards. And you posted that story about maybe Tyreek Hill uh, talking a little bulletin board material. Well, it, you play like that and you can pretty much say whatever you want. Yeah. Yeah. He backed it up completely. You're right. They had no answer for uh, Kelsey. They had no answer for Tyreek Hill. And it's kind of scary when you go back and watch that game because their first and and maybe only punt 
Uh, what happened after Hill dropped a 30 yard pass that hit him right on the hands without that, who knows, maybe they score, uh, on every drive in this game or move the ball deep on, on the bills, every single drive. That was the only time that I can remember at the start of the game is where they were stopped and they, they pretty much stopped themselves. So as much talent as there is on this Bills roster on offense, defense, special teams, there is a sizable gap between them and the Chiefs at this point in time. Yeah, and I think that, you know, I wrote about Sean McDermott on the site and uh, his his post-game press conference. And one of the things I took away was, you know, a quote that he had where he basically said, listen, this is the benchmark. We, we know that and we're going to go into the offseason and treat everything you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but, you know, treat everything that they do this offseason with that in mind that, you know, they still have another mountain to climb to get on the, that level of the Chiefs. And that's okay. Um, I think what we saw in this game was, first of all, defensively, I really can't find a team that's going to be able to stop all the weapons. I mean, Patrick Mahomes looked healthy tonight. Um, their offensive line, I mean, that was supposed to be the area where their, you know, a team could really attack them. Maybe if you had a really good defensive front that could consistently get pressure with four, because if you blitz Patrick Mahomes, we talked about it so much before the game, that's when he beats you. The Bills, you know, they're they they're how they're currently constructed, being kind of a one-man band with Jerry Hughes being, you know. We've talked him up a lot over the last couple of weeks, but he's not one. He's not in that tier of defensive ta- ends that could take over a game. Like I thought today, Frank Clark had a fl- Frank Clark game where he took over the game at points and he was making game changing p- plays from the edge. Now, of course, he's got Chris Jones inside; it makes things a lot easier on him. But there's a reason why the the Kansas City Chiefs traded for P- Frank Clark and paid him all that money because on the big stage, you need big time playmakers in key positions. And I just thought all of those key positions, if we can get into them, they made plays for the Chiefs tonight. Yeah, I think you nailed it. The Bills are lacking that special player off the edge that can make a that can be a difference maker. You know, obviously players like uh, the Watt brothers that don't grow on trees. You can't get Frank Clark's very easily. Uh, you know, you have to hope that when you draft one of those guys to develop into it. And right now, yes, Jerry Hughes, he, he's a tier or two below that type of player. He can make some big plays, but that's the best that the Bills have right now. Uh, you look at the rest of this roster, Mario Addison, you know, he had some moments this year, but I think there were some uh, there were some questions about him coming aboard age-wise. He, he, his production was pretty steady coming into this season, but he didn't reach that nine sack total that we had seen out of him in the past few seasons. Uh, you have to hope that AJ Epineza develops, maybe a Daryl Johnson, but you can't just sit back and hope that one of those guys pans out. If you can go and get a difference maker this offseason at that position, you almost have to do it. The only problem the Bills have right now is the cap situation heading into this offseason. You know, it's been projected to be as low as 175. I did see uh, one player for the Giants come out and say, you know, look for it to be closer to 188. And if that is the case, that would obviously help Buffalo a little bit. But they already have a lot of internal decisions and options they have to make with John Feliciano and Daryl Williams, uh, Matt Milano, obviously, and the list goes on and on. So 
how much money is left for your draft class? How much money is left to even make a splash in free agency? Those are some of the big questions to be had. But Buffalo could not get to Mahomes, who he didn't look like he was playing through turf toe. Let, let me start there. He didn't look hampered. He was rolling out of the pocket well. He was keeping plays alive uh, pretty long. And the Bills barely got their hands on him. It wasn't until late in the game where Jerry Hughes uh, knocked him out of bounds that they, I really felt like they got a decent hit on the guy. So the Bills sorely need someone there. I just know how it's going to happen this offseason. Yeah, and let's get into the conservative nature of the game plan because I think that that was one of the big storylines coming out of this game that needs to be addressed. And, you know, Sean did kind of talk about it a little bit, and he said if he had it to do over again, he might have gone for a touchdown on one of those plays. But, you know, I think we all going into this game knew that for the Bills to have a chance, they were going to have to score points. The only team that's beaten the Kansas City Chiefs in almost the last 30 games, take out the Week 17 game where they took out their starters, they've scored 40 points. That was the Las Vegas Raiders uh, a couple months ago. And you know going into a game against them, even if your defense plays well, there's always the chance that they can hang 40 on you because they're the Chiefs and they have that many weapons and you have to know that. And I thought that, you know, maybe there was a, an angle where Sean was trying to protect uh, an offense that was obviously struggling, that again seemed to be outclassed by Steve Spagnola in terms of, you know, the scheme that they, when we talked about it all week, we, we spent a ton of time with Brian Dable asking him about it. And, you know, they said that they had to be better about calling out protections, recognizing pre-snap. What, now, I will say too, the crowd noise, I think, definitely had an impact on the game. You could tell that you know they went to a silent count. They hadn't dealt with that level, that decibel level, all season long, and it had an impact on the game, but not an excuse. And I just thought that you know there wasn't enough of an adjustment made. And here's another thing, Ryan. And you know we don't we haven't talked about this much this year, but I feel like one area where I would be critical of Brian. Um, in, especially in the playoffs and in, in some of these games where they have a slow start, like he's really got a handle on his offensive um, personnel and the familiarity and continuity amongst the group. Sometimes I feel like where he leaves a little bit to be desired is in how they script games coming out to start. Like, you know, to start this game, you need to get in the end zone on your first two drives. You just have to do it. Now, of course, they had the situation where, you know, great special teams play gives them the ball back after, you know, a punt. They start with a field goal and a punt. Um, and, and so take out that special teams play and you're sitting there with three points after two drives. And that's simply not good enough when you're going up against the Kansas City Chiefs that it's almost like you're sitting on your hands waiting for them to get cooking. And then they did. And then it was off to the races and it was it was six scores and seven drives and five of them were touchdowns. Yeah, you know, opening drive of the game, the Bills get in their first fourth down situation. What do they do? They go for it. And I sat there and I said, okay, they get it. They understand that in this game against a team like the Chiefs, if it's a manageable down and distance on fourth down, you have to go for it. If if you're not backed up on your own 20 or 30, you have to go for it. And they did, and they converted it. And then, obviously, as they got closer and closer, they had to settle for that field goal. Uh, on the first drive, and, and fine, so be it. that drive stalled out. But when you get down to the red zone, and, and again, neither situation were long fourth down plays. I believe one was a fourth and two 
Uh, the other one wasn't that long either. You have to. You have to go. You have to try to get those points, not a field goal. Field goals are not going to get the job done. You know, maybe you hold the Chiefs to a field goal. You can't just go back and exchange one. You need to get those extra four points by scoring the touchdown uh, and getting that extra point as well. And that's something they did not do a good job of tonight. They were very conservative in that area. It was really disappointing to see because this season in game, it, it really felt like Sean McDermott had turned a corner there. He was more aggressive. He trusted this offense. Brian Dable was being more aggressive in terms of his play calls. And we just didn't see that tonight. So they were too conservative across the board. And, and ultimately, it cost them you know, the opportunity to really stay in this game. See me eating? I did. <laughs> yeah, I put you on the screen because I didn't want to um, people see me eating. But uh, once we get to the you know deadline there, I, I haven't eaten in like – in a while and I just grabbed some fruit and I was getting after it. Um, so yeah, uh, I, I think that one thing I did like that Sean said was, you know, this could be used as a learning experience. And I thought that Sean, you know, in game and, you know, from an aggressive standpoint, uh, from a play calling standpoint and just a game management standpoint this season, he took some steps forward himself, you know, along with the development of Josh Allen and some other pieces on this deep or on this team. So this would be something that I'm sure that, you know, he got out crafted by the, his mentor and Andy Reid, you know, schooled him again. Um, I, I, that's, that's kind of, you know, direct and to the point, but I think man to man, if you were to ask him directly, it would have been, you know, the, the, the guy that, you know, taught him a lot of the tricks still has a lot up his sleeve. And um, I think that, you know, it helps to have the talent that this Kansas city offense has, but their defense is what, really makes them this kind of swagger filled. Like I got some text messages tonight. You know, there's this family text message that I don't know how I get out of on game days going forward, but like for some reason I get thrown in it and, you know, during the game, I mean, just cycles and cycles of texts. And one person said, you know, Oh, I just can't stand Patrick Mahomes. He's so, he's so, um, he's, he's so cocky or something like that. And I kind of sat back and think, think, yeah, you're damn right he's cocky. Like, I'd be cocky too. I mean, not only do they have playmakers, but, you know, he's kind of the straw that stirs the drink. I mean, there's so – there was plays in this game, Ryan, where the Bills had – they played it perfectly right. Ed Oliver was in his face. Jerry Hughes was in his face. And it just didn't matter. He just tiptoed around the pocket effortlessly with no fear and flung it out, found an open receiver, and drives kept going all night. Yeah, you know, when you're that good, you, you've earned the right to be cocky or arrogant or whatever word you want to use. And on one of the pregame shows, the ESPN, they were going down the check boxes of, uh, you know, which team's in a better situation, offense, defense, quarterback, head coach, and, and they said the Bills at quarterback, and it was mostly because of Mahomes' turf toe. Uh, so about an hour ago, what does Mahomes do? He quote tweets that with some, someone's comment with a, like a yawn emoji next to it. Like, Hey, you know, that, that doesn't concern me. I knew I was the better quarterback on the field or I was going to be. And, and he backed it up when you're that good, you, you know, it kind of reminds me of back when Tom Brady, who again is in the Super Bowl, used to torment the bills. He knew how good he was. He knew that that team had no answers. Right now, Mahomes knows there's a sizable gap between the Chiefs roster and the Bills roster. And 
when you look at the AFC landscape, the Bills are were this year the number, you know, the second best team in the conference. But I, I think even after the season, you're going to sit back and you say they're probably still the, the number two team in this conference. Uh, Pittsburgh has questions at quarterback. Baltimore has some questions at quarterback in terms of um, being too one-dimensional. You know, there's some good teams in the mix in this conference, but the Bills are, are probably the best overall team. And when you're that much better than the second best team in your own conference and you know it, yeah, you're, you're going to have a, a little bit of arrogance on your side going into these games and after the games. Uh, more on this game and, and some final thoughts here and kind of lay out uh, my early plans uh, for the next week or two after this break. Ready for football? With every game a home game, Tops is ready for you with a TV a day giveaway. For six weeks, every day you shop is a new chance to win a massive 70-inch 4K TV. Shop Tops for the best deals in town, in-store, or online to win. Sorry, getting some more fruit in. Um, so a couple things here. First of all, how this season is going or how this off season is going to kind of, we're going to transition to the off season. We're going to have one more show, I think on Wednesday this week, the staple show. We'll keep that going. Uh, that'll probably be it for a while. We may even take a Wednesday off Super Bowl week. I haven't decided yet. Um, it's been an unbelievable grind and we've been so happy to do it, but we've had all of these shows um, leading up to this time. And I think we're going to kind of take a break, let it, let things settle down a little bit. And, you know, I think we'll put a nice little bow on things on Wednesday and, and, and give ourselves a couple weeks to, you know, recalibrate before we get too much into this off season. Um, but I think one of the things from this game is you realize that, you know, where you thought you couldn't possibly um, rearrange pieces, I think you learned in this game that you might be able to. And, you know, we had three games now where we saw a healthy John Brown back in the mix. And I just thought that he wasn't nearly as impactful as I needed him to be if I'm sitting there in the Bills front office with a decision looming and money finding money being one of the top priorities this off season, depending on where the salary cap lands. I think I saw something in the, in the craziness of this week that it, it's getting close to being at 190, but I, I can't say that for sure. So we'll see, but what's going on in the interior of that offensive line, Mitch Morse, you could save a lot of money if you move on from him. I thought up front, um, they weren't as good as I think you probably wanted to see them be in this game, knowing that they had Feliciano back in the mix. I thought, I thought Daryl Williams maybe lost some money tonight. Uh, I thought, offensively speaking, from top to bottom, maybe outside of Cole Beasley and TJ Yeldon, this was a really disappointing performance across the board for this Bills offense. It, it was really bad, and I think you you nailed it on John Brown. If if you can save that money uh, and use it somewhere else. It, and I saw some people in the comments here mentioning Kenny Stills. Maybe you can bring back Kenny Stills at a reasonable price. He's been in the system a little bit now. Uh, he might be a cheaper option. He can still be that guy that stretches the field, does a lot of the same things as John Brown. And I know that John Brown is just one year removed from a 1,000-yard season being Josh Allen's number one target. But injuries are a concern when you have a speedy receiver. I know Stills has a history of some uh, hamstring, leg injuries, things like that too. So maybe he's not the answer either. But 
you're right. You, you have to make some, some tough decisions. And if that frees up some money, maybe that's what you do. Uh, the offensive line, this was their worst performance in a long time. I, that obviously did not help Josh Allen tonight when, when he was getting so used to having a lot of time there to survey the field and scan the field. Uh, a lot of guys were, were beaten on plays where Allen was either taking a hit or having to, to maybe scramble or try to do things a little bit earlier than he had liked. So, yeah, Yeldon was a bright spot. It's no coincidence that Sean McDermott and the coaching staff pulled Devin Singletary after he dropped what should have been an easy catch that would have gone for a first down and who knows how much more. Uh, Yeldon, to his credit, stepped up in his place, but there's questions about the running back position. Zach Moss coming back from a serious uh, ankle injury. Had his moments as a rookie, but still left a lot to be desired, I think, based on expectations entering the year. Devin Singletary, there's definitely a sophomore slump there. Uh, what do you do with Yeldon, whose contract will be expiring? Do you bring him back? You have Antonio Williams, who flashed in uh, week 17. Do you go back to the well again in the draft and get another running back? I saw a lot of people calling for that on social media saying, you know, if this offense had a playmaker at running back, then they could really, you know, make some noise. And this offense was really good this year. They scored a lot of points, but they were one dimensional in part because of how good Josh Allen was. But I think also in part because the backs were just missing that, that extra factor that you see from Delvin Cooks and Aaron Jones's. Uh, and, and these other backs that c can take over a game if their quarterback is having an off day. So th there's a lot to be discussed this offseason, and, and you and I will definitely get into that here over the next few weeks. But it, it was a very disappointing uh, performance for that offense after such an outstanding season. Yeah. You know, we're probably not going to go too much longer here because – I kind of want to digest this game a little bit more. Um, you know, watching it live, I, I wrote my observations and, and what I kind of took away from it in the moment. But I want to kind of go back and, and maybe formulate some more postseason, offseason thoughts. Uh, I have an idea for a guest on Wednesday I think can help really help us really dive into this game and, and maybe what, you know, begin our, our first kind of poke uh, through the curtain into the off season. But I, I want to also bring in some perspective into this season. And I think that's what we're going to use this last part of the show for tonight. You know, I know we've talked about it, but this, this game was kind of like the, um, you know, icing on the cake, if you will. You know, I, I think that Bill's fans got to really celebrate a, a very special, season kind of like a light in a darkness that has been the last 20 years of this franchise and being a bills fan and you know somebody tweeted at me and listen i know what it's like being a fan and being disappointed and like you know have setting like setting yourself up for like hoping for a super bowl run or super bowl win or whatever but like if you would if somebody had told you when the when bills were reporting for training camp in august in late July, amid COVID and all the craziness that, you know, you were getting ready to go on a 15-win season to the AFC championship game, you're, you're going to stumble against the defending Super Bowl champions with Patrick Mahomes and all his weapons on offense, lose kind of one-sidedly 
uh, but be the runner-up in the AFC. I think most Bills fans jump for joy in that scenario. And now we're sitting here now and expectations you know, kind of grew over the course of the season, and rightfully so. And that's what being a fan's all about. But I think as you move away from this, you have a roster built foundationally strong that now you can start to tinker a little bit and maybe rework some of the, you know, I think you have a lot of um, film now on a lot of guys. And I think that there's a lot of guys that, you know, future is, is up in the air. We, we mentioned two of them. I think another guy that's going to be interesting and, you know, there's still a lot of time left. I don't think that anything's coming this off season, but Tremaine Edmonds is somebody that I think is really going to be interesting to cover next year. And, what jump does he make, the 22-year-old, from third year to fourth year when I feel like it's going to have to finally be that breakout season, that consistency? Um, there's, a, there's a lot of those little stories. I mean, Tredavious White had a great season, most of it, second-team All-Pro. He struggled tonight. I mean, in a moment like this when you're getting bludgeoned by a playmaker like Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill more so, you need your all, without Sammy Watkins there. You need your All Pro cornerback to step up and make plays, and he just didn't make enough tonight. So, I think there's a lot to be disappointed about and a lot to be sad about, but there's also a lot to be excited about and hopeful about. And I hope that people are able to find a little bit of that in the frustration. Yeah, if tonight's loss leaves a sour taste in your mouth, it's understandable. We, we get it. You were in the AFC Championship. You were 60 minutes away uh, from a Super Bowl appearance. You got out to a 9 nothing lead because of a field goal and then, you know, a muff punt. Uh, so understandable. It's okay to, to be upset with how the season ended. But like Matt said, if you were told before the season started that you would get within one game of the Super Bowl, you would sign up for that because of the last 20 years, because of – of all the misery that this team uh, has put you through over that time because they were missing that quarterback piece. They were missing key players at certain positions. This team is built to win. It is built to be around for a long time. You've already seen some players step up and and take what I would consider to be team-friendly deals. You look at a Trey White who signed a deal knowing that he would be the highest paid cornerback at the time, but would lose that status within days when, when the next cornerback signed. And sure enough, that's how it worked out. So uh, I feel like this team is built, right? And, and you're right. There's certain players that you need to truly evaluate. You know, let's say Dawson Knox, for instance, young guy still, you, you drafted him for his potential. You need to see that potential early. You still might want to go draft a, a tight end high in this class if someone falls into your lap in the first round. Uh, you might still want to address the position by adding another veteran into the mix, knowing that Tyler Croft is probably gone. Who knows what happens with Lee Smith? Uh, so that's somewhere, too, where you might say, okay, we drafted this guy for his athleticism, but we need to see more. He needs to bring it together. You mentioned Edmonds. That's a perfect example. We hear the age excuse, and and maybe excuse isn't the right word, but hey, he's still 22, and last year, hey, he's still 21. There's all these players that were getting drafted this year that are that are older than him. I get it, but he's also been in this same system now for his entire career. This is not a case of a young guy having to learn a different system year in, year out with, with defensive coordinators coming in and out of the picture. He's had Leslie Frazier from the get-go. 
and there have been flashes. There has been some tremendous play, but there's been also a lot of misplays on the field where he's biting on, on uh, what he sees. He's moving too far out of position and he's letting guys get open. So as much potential as there is, as much as he is a very likable player, some of these young guys, they need to start putting it together in 2021 or else Brendan Bean is going to have to go out and, you know, show why he was executive of the year this past season and make some further moves to replace those players down the road. It's a tough job. You can't just keep players, though, in a position because of potential. Because eventually, potential, if it doesn't amount to something, then you're just you're putting below average people or average players in spots where you could have playmakers and you could have difference makers. And that's the difference between a team that gets the AFC championship game and a team that gets the Super Bowl and wins it all. Matt, we can't hear you right now. Nice. Were you doing that the whole time while I was talking? <laughs> I did for a while, and then I went to the chat. Can you tell it's 1.30 in the morning? <laughs> All right, we're going to get out of here. Uh, we'll be back with a awesome show on Wednesday night. We'll really wrap this thing up. Hopefully, we'll get a chance tomorrow to talk uh, to a lot of players. We didn't get a chance to talk to Stefan Diggs or um, – Tredavious White tonight, so uh, maybe we'll get a chance to do that tomorrow. Uh, and, you know, you guys have been awesome all year. This has been so fun all season to, to, to do these post-game shows and you know, interact with all you guys, and it's been really fun. And you've made this podcast, like, really successful and really um, engaging, and, and that's on you, and I'm not surprised. We, we, you know what Ryan and I feel about Bill's Mafia. Uh, for Ryan Talbot, I am Matt Perino. Please find us on all the audio platforms. Uh, subscribe if you're watching on YouTube. We'll be back on Wednesday night. Make sure you set up notifications so you know when we go live. We will see you then, my friends. Take care. Ready for football? Tops is with ready-to-serve fan favorites everyone will cheer for. Delicious family or party packs like pizza, sliders, fried chicken, barbecue, or beef on whack. Starting at only $4 per serving. Perfect for game day and any day. Only at Tops.